Welcome to Come and Reason, a podcast about life, ministry, and God's continuing work in the minds of His people. I'm your host, Joe Henson, and this podcast is presented by DeclaringGlory.com. In this episode, we take one more step in the series of midweek devotionals I've been presenting to the congregation I pastor at Trinity Bible Church. These messages were written and presented to help prepare our hearts and minds for the upcoming celebration of Thanksgiving. This episode is the third of these five messages, and it sounds a serious warning about the danger of ingratitude that flows from a spirit and mindset of entitlement. Tonight, we want to take another step in our series of midweek devotionals on the subject of biblical gratitude and thanksgiving. We've mentioned to you we're going to do this for several weeks. Hopefully you remember that a few weeks ago, we began by asking and answering the question, Thanksgiving, what is it? Then last week, we addressed this subject. We said ingratitude is the fruit of unbelief. And tonight, what we want to do is consider the same struggle we talked about last week, but from a different angle. So the same struggle, ingratitude, but tonight we want to consider this, ingratitude, fruit of entitlement. So I'd ask you to take your Bibles tonight and turn to the book of Luke, the book of Luke tonight, in chapter number 17, Luke chapter 17, verse 11, down through verse 19. You follow along, follow along as I read aloud our text. On the way to Jerusalem, he, that's Jesus, was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, and as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. I can't speak for the rest of you, but I have to admit that the fact that I have often found this passage to be rather troubling to me. Just messes with my mind a bit. See, the fact of the matter is that the brazen, unflinching, unapologetic ingratitude of the nine in this passage is almost shocking. Yet I would also submit to you, friends, that this kind of thanklessness among God's creatures and even among God's professing people is far more common, I think, than any of us would actually like to admit. Maybe we read a text like this and we find ourselves shocked by the ingratitude of folks, but we have to ask the question, why was this story recorded? Because ingratitude isn't a common problem, and we get to proudly sit back and be shocked at those who are ungrateful? Or is it recorded because it's actually a problem we all have? That God blesses in amazing, gracious ways 
And we shrug and go on with our lives. Do our thing. Live as we please. Never even looking back over our shoulder at the one who blessed us. You see, I read the text, and yes, I am, I am shocked at their ingratitude, but then I find that I'm actually, if I'm honest, looking in a mirror at the tendency of my own heart to receive the blessings of God and then to be thankless for them. I think in order to get our heads wrapped around what was exactly going on here, we, we need to stop and consider a few things just to make sure that we're, we're reminded, for most of it's, it's reminded, of what exactly is going on here. I, I'm sure most of you are well aware of the fact that leprosy, these were lepers, leprosy was a terrible, terrible disease in those days. This disease was highly contagious. It was considered medically incurable. In that day, pretty much a death sentence. Among the Jews in particular, the disease was dreaded, not only because it meant certain things for you physically and a deterioration of your life, but it meant pretty much the end of your life as you had known it. The disease was considered among Jews to be dirty. In other words, anyone diagnosed with leprosy was considered not only to be ill, but ceremonially unclean and therefore unwelcome around others who were not unclean ceremonially. You see, this disease was considered unclean because as you study the scriptures, you find that it really was serving in one way or another as a representation of sin among God's people. And a lot of this, I think it has to be understood, friends, that leprosy was considered a kind of curse by God. It was a curse that resulted in the profound and, and, and really transferable impurity from one to another. Now, as a result, then, this disease could only be cleansed in that day in particular by a merciful act of the sovereign God. They would go to God and seek a miracle because that was the only hope they had. They were desperate if God did not intervene. Think in terms of stories in Scripture like that of Naaman the leper, remember? Mighty man, but had no way of cleansing why he's a, a leper. But a servant girl tells him of a prophet in a foreign land who, who actually heals people of diseases like this by the power of God. What does he do? Go and humiliate himself by dunking in a dirty river because there was no other hope for a man like him. No other option for healing. 
It should not surprise us then to read of, of lepers who believed that they were in desperate need of a miracle for their healing. This is the context we're reading about here in Luke chapter 17. And all of this, I think, helps us to make sense of what we read in the opening verses of our passage. Look back at just verses 11 and following to start with. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices saying, Jesus! Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Don't miss the desperation of the situation as you, as you read the words. We can read right over them if we're not careful. These, these ten had leprosy, this disease we're discussing. They were unclean. They were unwelcome. They had to keep their distance, so they did. And they called out from a distance. And what did they beg for? They begged for mercy from the sovereign Son of God. Would you heal us? We have no other hope. All ten cry the same thing. All ten have the same need. All ten have the same sentence of death on them. All ten in the same unwelcome state. Who cares if there's a foreigner among them? They're all unclean. Lord, would you have mercy? They begged for it. Now, the Old Testament scriptures instructed that anyone who had been cleansed, they believed by God, of their leprosy were to go to the priest so that he might, uh, they might be declared clean officially, ceremonially, by the priest. But it's interesting, you study, a one who's been cleansed goes to the priest after they've been cleansed. But these beg for mercy while still not being cleansed. And notice the way that the Lord instructed them to go to the priest before they had actually received their healing. Look at verse 14. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. They're still unclean. But as they went, they were cleansed. Brothers and sisters, this was a, a call for all ten of these lepers to take Christ at his word. To act upon his words by faith. They begged for mercy, and the Son of God says, go and show the priest. And they also have their leprosy. But when they turned, believing his word, they were cleansed. Not one out of ten. Not just nine out of ten. Ten out of ten received a stay, of, a, a, a stay of sentence, a pardon, as it were, from their life sentence of leprosy. All of them received mercy. And everything, everything in their future would be different because of those words from Jesus. Nothing would be the same going forward from how it had been up until that moment. As they went, they were cleansed from defilement. I love this. They cried out for mercy and God gave it. Is this not what he says he will do? 
Komm. Komm. I forgive. I heal. I satisfy. I cleanse. I pardon. Come. Believe. Before we move any further in the text, though, I want you to stop right here and ask yourself a question. What is the only right response to such unmerited mercy from the Lord of life? What what is the only right response? You beg for mercy and the sovereign gives it. I think we'd all agree that the only right response is genuine and utterly humbled gratitude and thanksgiving. But watch what happened next. And this is the point of the text. Then one of them. Let the words hit your heart like the writer and the spirit intend them to hit your heart. Ten lepers. Ten life sentences, ten pleas for mercy, ten words of promise, ten promises fulfilled, ten healings given. One turned back to the giver of life. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back. Praising God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at Jesus' feet. The dirty one had been cleansed. Now he falls to the dust. Humble. Thankful. Praising. Giving him thanks. Now, odd note, he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, were were not ten cleansed? Now now remember, Jesus never asks a question to receive information. Ten were here, right? I know how much virtue went out of me when I healed them. I heard how many voices called to me. I looked in each of their faces. I'm their maker. I know them through and through. They didn't even have to tell me their names. I know their names. I know their stories. I'm God. I know the number of hairs on their heads. I just gave them life again. Were not there ten of you? If so, then then where are the nine? Ten gifts of grace. One offering of thanks. Was no one found to return and give praise to God except, again, interesting note, except this foreigner. And he said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Soundingly, only one of the ten turned back to give thanks. Our Lord himself even noted the great divide between what should have been and what actually was on that day. So we need to ask, okay, with the Lord, then what happened? I mean, what happened here? And I think we could answer that question like this. 
friends, simply, I think, stated two different kinds of hearts were revealed that day. Two different kinds of hearts. Notice we don't see any sign here that Jesus revoked the healing of the nine. As if somehow they didn't take him at his word and turn and go to the priest. Ten were healed that day. We have a reason to believe they stayed healed. But there was something different in the hearts of the one versus the nine. And the first thing I think that this passage reveals, friends, is, is, is a genuinely grateful heart in the one. A genuinely grateful heart in the one. It's interesting that Luke pointed out the fact we said that the, the one man who returned to him to give thanks, to return to Jesus to give thanks, was a Samaritan. He was a, a foreigner, Jesus pointed out. He's, he's not a Jew. Uh, there are actually repeated instances in Scripture. We don't have time to chase them all, but let me give you a couple of instances where the, where the Scriptures point out the idea that Gentiles among the people of God in Jesus' day actually demonstrated the fact that they knew that they had no right in their situation as those outside of, of the Jewish nation to actually think or expect or demand anything from Israel's God. And yet they often were blessed in their asking. But there was something more humble many times about the Gentiles who came than the Jews who did. In John chapter 4, verses 6 through 9, this, this language is just pointed out in the story of the woman at the well with Jesus. Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, Ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria. And then we find in John this little parenthetical expression to help us understand why, why would she say such a thing? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. We find something similar to Mark chapter 7. You may remember this story. And from there, he, Jesus, arose and went to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know. And he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. I mean, this, this is a statement about Jew versus Gentile from Jesus. You're a Gentile asking the one who came to the Jews to bless you. And there are others among my people that haven't been blessed the way you're asking to be blessed. And how does she respond? Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. I'm not making any demands. I'm just asking, would you let some crumbs fall from their table and bless us? Do you see the humility in the response? You don't have to read the Gospels long to pick up the fact that those who were not Jews by birth were regularly humbled by their place in society. I mean, even before you take their personal situation or, or how distraught they are over their personal need or their illness or whatever, they, they all already understand they're at a disadvantage, uh, spiritually speaking. This position as an outcast seemed... 
to humble the Gentile in ways that the Jews were not humbled. Matthew chapter 8, we find another instance. When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. I'm not worthy for you to come with me. My house is not a worthy place for you to set foot. I'm not asking you to come. I'm just asking, would you let some crumbs fall from the table to my household? For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. How does Jesus respond to this Gentile man? When Jesus heard this, he marveled. Friends, if the Son of God marvels, stop and meditate. Jesus marveled. And said to those who followed him, truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. What do we see in these exchanges? And there are others like these in the Gospels. What, what do we see? We see humbled hearts, genuinely grateful hearts. I don't deserve anything from you, but would you show some mercy? Would you grant some undeserved grace? Would you give me some favor? Would, would you bless me? I don't deserve it. But would you give it? And friends, this is why our passage for tonight doesn't just tell us of a grateful heart. It also warns us about a proudly entitled heart. But we can't forget the fact, friends, that a full nine out of the ten healed lepers did not return to give thanks to the Lord for their cleansing. Not even a sign that they looked back over their shoulders when they realized they were clean. They didn't come to their Lord. They ran back to their lives. They took the blessing of God and they ran to their own lives without a word of thanks. Seemingly without a thought of thanks. You know, I've often thought that the epitome of this kind of pride among the, the, the Jewish people described in Scripture this entitled heart was expressed most clearly often in the words of the Pharisees. You guys know that, right? We see it. Probably the clearest text in the New Testament on this kind of exchange with Jesus is kind of a sparring, as it were, is in John chapter 8. We find repeatedly this language in the text. We don't have time to chase everything that's there. But let me just show you a handful of the, the, the passages in John 8 and the exchange that happens there. John chapter 8 and verse 31, we read, So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they answered him, We are offspring of Abraham and have never been enslaved to anyone. You will become free? It doesn't even make sense to us. We're not enslaved. We're the good guys. Who are you? Do you think you're talking to Jesus? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. What do they point to? Their own righteousness. You, do you know where we came from? Do you know what our bloodline is? Do you know? Do you know what we know? Do you realize who you're speaking to? 
It continues, John chapter 8 and verse 39. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works of Abraham, that Abraham did, but now you seek to kill me. A man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. Oh, you say your father's Abraham. Let me tell you about your father. They said to him, we were not born of sexual immorality. Do you remember who they're talking to? They're talking to Jesus. Do you know what they're doing? They're implying he was. We know your story. Your mom and dad weren't even married. Like, this is what they're saying. They're throwing his story in his face. We weren't born of sexual immorality. Heartbreaking. How blasphemous. We have one father. Our father's God. We don't know who your daddy is. What a claim. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not from of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand and the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. And what is he saying? And you're just like him. But you don't believe that about yourselves because you came from Abraham, you say. We don't have time to chase the rest of this passage. It is a glorious passage on the deity of Christ. This whole passage paints it out. But do you understand what's what's at stake here? What's the argument over? It's over the bloodline. Where do you come from? We know where we come from. You can't question us. We're the holy ones. We're the good ones. We, We deserve the blessings of God. We don't deserve pain. We don't deserve struggle. We don't deserve bondage. We don't deserve trouble. We deserve his blessing. He owes us. Because we're his people. This was the mindset of so many within Judaism. You see, friends, the Jews thought that their birth, their heritage, their religion entitled them to the blessing of God. Because I am who I am and I do what I do, God owes me. Just as it is true today, friends, those outside of Christ, though, have no merit and no standing before God whatsoever. None. No right to claim any of the least of the blessings of God. It's why we sing with language like, no merit of my own, his anger to suppress. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. What is the claim in our mind and heart? Think this through with me. How? Sad it is that so many who would like to claim that they are God's people, they're in his church, they they carry his book, they've got his fish on their car. How many who would like to claim that they are God's people do not, in fact, give heartfelt, soul-deep, 
thanks to God. Because at the end of the day, their hearts are simply gripped with pride and entitlement. Blessings come, well, it's about time. I don't deserve to suffer. He owes me. I was at church on Sunday. He owes me a good week. I read my Bible this morning. He owes me a good day. I gave some extra money. He owes me blessing. And we would never be so crass as to say it, but hear me. Texts like this in in Luke 17 are in the Scriptures because many religious people who claim to be gods don't thank God for what He gives them. They just don't. And at the root of it, it's because we believe He owes us. We deserve His blessings. We don't deserve pain or trial or trouble or heartache or death. We deserve better than that. So when better than that comes, why would we thank Him? That should have been ours all along. So many times we pray and we pray and we pray and we think that we're earning the blessing of God by days or weeks or months or even years of prayer. And finally, the payday comes. I've been earning this answer to my prayer by praying. Do we understand that the grace of God is that? It is grace. The mercy of God is just that. It is mercy. The gifts of God are just those. They are gifts. And hear me. We will not give thanks if we do not believe that. In other words, many who would claim submission to King Jesus, many who would claim allegiance to God, the God who made them, actually believe that God owes them something and that they deserve it better than they have it. So when they finally get it better than they've had it, they don't even look over their shoulder. They don't even look back. They just run headlong back into the rat race of their life without a thought for the un merited blessing that the sovereign has just bestowed on them. As we've seen in our passage for tonight, friends, ingratitude, ingratitude is birthed and it is fostered in the hearts of the entitled. I deserve it. So give it to me. And if he does, even when he does, do we even look back, let alone return with a loud voice of praise and our face in the dirt at his feet? Thank you. Thank you. I don't deserve anything. But wrath, 
And you have poured out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. Thank you. Thank you. Are we thankful people? God's amazing and unmerited grace, then I pray that we would be counted with the one who recognized his unworthiness. Not the nine who did not. The one who did. The one who recognized his unworthiness and returned to give thanks to God for his unmerited mercy and favor. Let us be counted with him. And as we turn our attention to prayer night, then let's, let's cry out to God as we've done for these weeks now from hearts that are genuinely moved with gratitude to God for who he is and for what he has done and for what he continues to do and for what he has promised to do that we have not yet even realized. May we be a people marked not by ingratitude, but always by gratitude and thanksgiving to our great God. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Come and Reason. This has been the third of five messages on the theme of biblical gratitude. Please join us next time as I continue this series we hope will whet our appetites and prepare our hearts to praise our great God in the coming days and weeks.